0: In January, Brisbane was inundated with rain for a continuous period of three weeks. Towards the end of this period, tropical cyclone Wanda had built up off the east coast of Australia. Cyclone Wanda wasn't a particularly strong cyclone with regard to damaging winds, but it did carry with it enormous amounts of rain. So much so that when Wanda crossed the east coast near Double Island Point, the rain came in great amounts causing widespread flooding in Brisbane suburbs. During this time, there was the loss of 14 lives as the people of Brisbane did what they could to stave off the effects of widespread flooding. A further two fatalities were reported in northern New South Wales, and over 300 people were injured. More than 1,600 homes were submerged, and 8,000 people were left homeless. You're listening to BRL Moments in Time, and this is
1: 1974. Stand up and cheer for
0: Is the man is it's, a it's the green and the blue and the white, it's the brown. Just the taint that's Welcome to BRL Moments in Time episode 13. I'm Chris Leeson and as always here with Dave Tegel. Dave how are you going? I'm great thanks Chris. That's good. Dave I'm uh, imagining you were too young to remember the 1974
1: floods. Yeah just a toddler Chris so I uh, might be able to invent a couple of memories mm-hmm. but no I'm pretty sure um, that was a little bit beyond my memory bank's abilities.
0: Yeah well one thing I'm going to be really looking forward to is when we do the 1980s and I can ask you if you remembered something and you can say yes <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, mate.
0: Uh, okay well let's uh move on what was happening in 1974
1: dave right well most of the basics were starting to rise in costs a postage stamp was 10 cents in january and 18 cents by the end of the year bit of inflation going on there there were also slight rises in basic food costs a loaf of bread was about 39 cents and a pint of milk was 24 cents <coughs> The average salary was still around $5,700 and the average house price in Brisbane was $21,500. Gough Whitlam was Prime Minister and Joe Bielke-Peterson was the Premier of Queensland. A monsoon dropped 231 millilitres of water, resulting in the heaviest flood of Lake Eyre in 500 years. Since 1970, the amount of rain that fell in Brisbane was higher than any other year. When Cyclone Wanda made landfall near Double Island Point, the resulting rainfall caused major flooding in Brisbane at the end of January. A human skeleton, believed to be at least 40,000 years old, was found in Lake Mungo. On July the 1st, Australia's road signs switched from imperial measurements to metric measurements. In October, the first bank card or credit card was introduced in Australia. Countdown first aired on Australian TV, and I do remember Countdown, Chris. (laughs) On Christmas Eve in Darwin, Cyclone Tracy devastated the city with an official death toll of 71 people. Yeah, 74
0: was a big year for those um, natural disasters. Yes, yeah. it was. Well, some interesting stuff happening there. The thing I remember more than anything else was rain, rain, rain. The Brisbane floods reached their peak on Australia Day of 1974. We all know about the floods in January, but in February we had 11 days of rain and one of those dumped the monthly average. In March we had three times the monthly average of rainfall, April was twice as much as the monthly average, and May was higher but close to average. June was almost twice as high as average, then the rain eased off for the rest of the year until grand final day of rugby (laughs) league (laughs) of course. (laughs) But little to no rain then until November when the monthly total was again almost twice the monthly average so yes, a lot of water around in 1974, so rain or not, let's kick off because it waits for nobody. Let's get into it. <whistles> there were new coaches in a number of clubs across the league. Norm Pope of course had left Wests and uh, John Sattler had taken over the coaching job there. Uh, Pope had moved on to Easts, Paul Broughton was the new coaching director at Brothers and Souths had hired former English test forward Brian Briggs as coach. Brian Davies couldn't work his magic at Wynnum Manly despite a couple of years trying and he was replaced by St George's reserve grade coach Tom Berry. There are new players around the league as well, none more so than the cropper players that arrived at Bishop Park to play with Norths. They'd secured Tommy Bishop, Vic Podzunas, Lee Hutchinson and Paul Carn. A number of former English players were also scattered through the league. East had new English test player in forward John Ward, South had Steve Lyons and Bill Kirkbride, and old was new again when Richie Twist and Ian Robson were back at Wests. After a lean Woolies pre-season competition, Valleys were winless. There was some newspaper column space devoted to it. It needn't have been a story, though, as they came out in Week 1 and beat 1973 co grand finalists Redcliffe. Henry Holloway said Premierships aren't won in February. Yep, that's right. The interesting thing about Valley's win and the resulting couple of weeks is that they had completely changed the way they play the game. No longer was it the grinding defence with an occasional spot of brilliance but instead they were playing an open attacking brand of football that was exciting to watch throughout. And after three weeks of competition the latter was fairly congested. Four teams on four points from two wins and one loss and four teams on two points from one win and two losses. After playing a big part in Redcliffe's first win of the season in Week 3 over Easts, Robert Orchard was involved in an altercation with club officials. The incident occurred after members of the New Zealand Darts team, who were friends of Orchard, having played with him in Auckland, were refused admission to the late night cabaret at Redcliffe Leagues Club. Orchard then involved himself in an altercation with club officials, which is punishable by a three-month ban. It was unclear whether the ban would extend to the football
1: field, but Orchard said, I have a hamstring injury which I have ignored for weeks. Because of it, I could make myself unavailable for the next three months. It could be right about July 27th when the ban ends.
0: Orchard sent a letter to Redcliffe seeking a release from the rest of his three-year contract after the incident. Penrith, Canterbury and North Sydney all jumped at the chance to sign him up. Orchard said he wasn't interested in the Sydney offers until he heard from Redcliffe. He wanted to stay, but if the ban wasn't lifted, he was going to go. Orchard's belief was that because the incident occurred outside the clubhouse, the ban should not have been put in place. While the saga played itself out, Redcliffe managed to win again with an 18-5 win over Wests, and the rain continued to fall during 1974.
1: The Courier-Mail sports reporters describing it as South slipped and slid to a 12-11 victory in a bright league match under trying conditions. And Winner Manley fought back with eight points in the last 12 minutes to score an 8-7 win over Norths in continuous rain at Bishop Park. While Valleys thrived on a lack of possession from scrums to beat brothers 13-9 in an exciting wet ball match at Lang Park.
0: Meanwhile, Rob McAuliffe from the QRL had a conversation with Orchard, pointing out that if he made the Queensland team as he did last year, he could be travelling back to his hometown in Auckland as a visiting player. McAuliffe's belief was that Orchard would resume training in the coming week. Redcliffe board were meeting to discuss the matter. As the competition
1: moved into week five, the rain was starting to play havoc with fixtures. Jack Reedon wrote... The Valley West Rugby League fixture scheduled to be played at Lang Park might be moved to another ground. But on Anzac Day, Laurie Kavanagh wrote, "Only heavy overnight rain could stop the Valley's West's Rugby League clash at Lang Park, and it went ahead with Valley's winning 29 to
0: six. And then a few days later, it was in use again as Brothers trounced Redcliffe 31 nil, despite Robert Orchard returning to the field for the Dolphins. With winds to east and south, the latter was shaping up as a close-run race." with Valleys and Souths breaking to a lead on eight points from four wins and one loss. They were followed by everyone else on four points with two wins and three losses each. The QRL issued a warning to all clubs across the state to clean up their acts and rub out the foul play that was marring some exciting football competitions. It didn't really have much of an effect with strong punishments of four weeks handed out to Ron Raper of Redcliffe, Bob Clapham of Wynnum, Tony Obbs from Redcliffe and Russell Hughes from Valleys. When Valleys took Hughes to the judiciary to appeal the suspension imposed, the QRL Appeals Boards issued a statement after the hearing.
1: The Queensland Rugby League Appeals Board has dismissed the appeal by Fortitude Valleys Club on behalf of player Russell Hughes, but it considered increasing the sentence in view of the seriousness of the (laughs) offence.
0: Hughes had been sent off for kicking and after being warned for punching earlier in the game.
1: (laughs) Uh, Hands uh, and feet to yourself
0: Yes After the six week round of fixtures A city team was selected to place Tease Toyota Country It was a good side But Jack Reardon lamented the lack of form players being selected And selections going more with reputation than on current match form The team was
1: Wayne Bennett Ian Douth Jerry Fitzpatrick Bob Beetson Warren Orr Jeff Richardson Tommy Bishop Lou Platts John McCabe Des Morris John Sattler John Lang, Robert Orchard, with Ross Strudwick, Peter Lease, Greg Vivers, Rod Halley and Hugh Doherty as reserves. Reardon raised that although Sattler and Orchard had been in great form early in
0: the season, John Crelia of Valleys had been the form prop forward for the past few weeks and was unlucky to miss out. Others unlucky to miss out, according to Reardon, were Ross Strudwick and Greg Vivers, who'd been included in the reserves.
1: Yeah, the country team acquitted themselves very well. With players like Doug Muir, Ian Pearce, Harry Pickering, Wayne Lindenberg, and forwards Tony Perkins, Ray Higgs, and Tom Duggan, the country team certainly had some class. When Duggan put Lindenberg through for a try, that was followed up by tries to Pickering and Muir, and goals by Pearce, and country were away to a great start. After that, Johnny Lang pulled back a try to City and got the city team moving. In fact, the City team didn't, didn't start getting on top until Strudwick and Vivas came onto the field. Perhaps another form forward like John Crilly would have helped the enthusiasm as well.
0: From all the reports, Crilly certainly was informed for Valleys, helping them to close a win over Souths to put Valleys on top of the Premiership table. The game featured a thrilling tussle between John Grant and Kim McCasker and Jerry Fitzpatrick and
1: Bob Beetson in the centres. Henry Holloway said, That was a great game. And Souths coach Brian Biggs commented that, I don't care what anyone says. We were a bit unlucky. But what the hell, it was two tries each. A great game and great for rugby league. That is what counts most. It was a lift for the rugby league game.
0: In the same round of fixtures, Norths debuted a 17-year-old high school student to play second row forward in their loss to Wests. The young Daryl Broman played OK, but kicked poorly, landing just two from six attempts. Wynnum were on top of Redcliffe in the first half, but Peter Lease came to life in the second half and Redcliffe overtook the Seagulls. In the other game of the round, Easts beat brothers. Halfback Wayne Height took advantage of his purple patch of form to lead the Tigers to the win. He was up against the form half of the competition in brothers' Tony White, but Height played a better game to get on top. Height was well supported by Kev Stevens, Jeff Fife, Errol Slingsby and Des and Rod Morris.
1: So after the first round of fixtures, Valleys had hopped to a four point lead with just one loss in the first round. Souths, Easts and Redcliffe made up the top four, all on eight points, with Wests and Norths trailing close behind on six points. The Queensland selectors also chose a team to tour Auckland and take on New South Wales. Jack Reardon thought they were a front rower short as only John McCabe and Greg Vevers were capable of playing there and both of them were more second rowers than front rowers. John Sattler agreed saying it wasn't sour grapes but he felt the team was light on for front rowers. Sattler also felt that South's Gary Dobrick or Tony White from Brothers should have been given a run as the reserve halfback instead of 19 year old Toowoomba halfback Wayne Lindenberg. While Sattler agreed with the selection of Wide Bay's Ray Higgs he questioned Tom Duggan's place in the team saying he could pick a number of second rowers in Brisbane who could turn on a bigger game. While Tommy Duggan was a wholehearted performer, I would suggest that at that particular time, the omission of Glenn Harrison and Gary Seaton was a form error on the the part of the state selectors.
0: Yeah, possibly so. I mean, that's certainly what the newspapers were saying at the time. And they really gave Glenn Harrison a big rap about his form, so it Mm. seems a shame that he was missing out on those games. The squad included 13 Brisbane players and six country players. They flew to Auckland for a Brisbane versus Auckland match before heading to Sydney to take on New South Wales. The
1: team that would play the Brisbane v Auckland game was Brothers Wayne Bennett, who was replaced by Wayne Stewart from Wests when Bennett was ruled out with a broken nose. Warren Orr from Wests, John Grant from Souths, Jerry Fitzpatrick from Valleys, Peter Leese from Redcliffe, Jeff Richardson from Wests, Ross Strudwick and Hugh O'Doherty both from Valleys, Lou Platts from Souths, Rod Halley from Redcliffe, John McCabe from Valleys, John Lang from Easts, Greg Vivers from Souths and he was also the captain and the remaining squad members were Ian Pearce, Ray Higgs, Harry Pickering and Tom Duggan from Wide Bay. Wayne Lindenberg from Toowoomba and Tony Perkins from Central Queensland were also part of the squad.
0: Yeah, so they played well and defeated Auckland by
1: 10 points to four, with Hugh O'Doherty playing in the back row, the man of the match. So Chris, last episode we spoke about the constant interplay between Hugh O'Doherty and John Lang and this man of the match performance speaks to the struggle that existed between those two players. I wonder how much O'Doherty would have played for Queensland or even Australia if he was a better ball winner in the scrums. He wasn't bad, he just wasn't as good as Lang or Foot Simmons, the two Queensland players against whom he contested for that vital hooking spot in the Queensland teams.
0: Yeah, well I saw Healy play and I read plenty about um, how good he was and it always comes back to being able to win the ball in the 70s mm-hmm. as far as a hooker is concerned. Almost every match report mentions which of the two hookers won the scrum count. And it's just something that you can't get away from. Times, so, times have changed now, yeah, haven't they? they have. <laughs> um, he, he would have probably had a much better uh, career if he was playing in today's form. Uh, t- yeah, that's right. Yeah. So both Fitzsimmons playing. They played plenty of games for Australia. Uh, probably neither of them played as many as they should have played for Australia. Um, but uh, let's take nothing away from the guys who did. You know, Huey was great, but Fitzi and Lang were just as good around the park um, as any other hooker forwards in their day. Um, I didn't see Fitzy play too often. I did see him play, but not too often. He was a little bit older than, than Langy I saw plenty of John Lang, and I think he was easily comparable and in almost every case better than every New South Wales hooker that they put up against him. Wow. If he wasn't at better than them, he was at least as good as them. He could play, he could play really well. Mm. Anyway, back to the Queensland team in New Zealand. Queensland coach Barry Muir was impressed with the team's defence. And while Muir was on tour with Queensland, Ron Raper was masterminding the Redcliffe Dolphins' assault on the President's Cup in the BRL. At the end of that first round of games, Valleys were on top uh, after just uh, one loss and they were on 12 points. East, South and Redcliffe were all equal seconds, so the BRL had moved the East-Redcliffe game to this first week of the second round. With three teams on equal points at the end of the first round, the BRL needed to know which of the three teams would play Valleys in the President's Cup. And that's usually decided on points differential.
1: Yeah, but only this time it wasn't that simple. South's had a differential of negative seven, so they were out, because both Easts and Redcliffe had a better differential than that. In fact, Easts had 108 points for and 108 points against for a differential of zero, and Redcliffe had 104 points for and 104 points against also for a differential (laughs) of zero. So to sort out which of Easts and Redcliffe would play in the President's Cup, this second round matchup was moved forward. Raper's coaching did the job because Redcliffe won the match handsomely, setting up a President's Cup berth later in the round against competition leaders, Valleys.
0: Well, one of the most experienced players in the league in Raper was doing his coaching apprenticeship, masterminding Redcliffe's surge to the top of the table. One of the least experienced players in the game, North's 17-year-old forward, Darrell Broman, had come into his own over the past few weeks since his debut match, and all of his A-grade games were good ones, with the last two being quite exceptional. In the week eight game against Valleys, Broman and his teenage teammate, Greg Crowe, were outstanding. And Jack Reardon speaks to North's burgeoning form when he notes
1: Queensland must have a great pack of forwards on tour when they can leave North's second rower Glenn Harrison behind.
0: Yeah, it comes back to that, to Harrison. Certainly, the reports were saying that he was having a great year, and uh, being a big, uh, fast guy, he had played plenty in the centres as well. So to take him as a, a reserve would have been a really good idea. I would have thought. Mm. Anyway, it seemed that John Sattler and Jack Reardon also knew what they were talking about when they said that Queensland team were light on for front rowers. McCabe had a broken thumb, and instead of using one of the many second rowers in the squad, they flew Valley's form prop forward John Crilly to Sydney to
1: cover for McCabe. Valleys and Souths appealed to the QRL to have their state squad members not playing against New South Wales to be released to play for their clubs on the weekend. Briggs from Souths was especially critical of the Queensland selectors leaving Grant out of the team to play New South Wales. He was selected on the bench. It's a tough argument when Warren Orr, Jerry Fitzpatrick, Peter Lees, and Harry Pickering are the four three quarters for the match. But before he left Brisbane, Grant was touted as the best centre in the state. And in the interstate
0: game, Ray Higgs was sent off by Bernie Pramberg just before half-time and New South Wales were able to rattle up a 22-13 win. Greg Devers was a revelation, leading his team from the front with strong charges into the Blues' defence. Queensland couldn't kick a goal though to save themselves. Pearce missed four and then Cruelly missed two. The kicks weren't overly difficult and had they been slotted over, Queensland would have had a 15-2 lead midway through the first half. Jeff Richardson was also one player to show outstanding form. After outpointing Bob Fulton in the first game, Richardson took on Tim Pickup and outplayed him in the second game.
1: So the only change to the Queensland team for the second game was the inclusion of David Wright, who had just returned from a stint in England. He was in for the suspended Ray Higgs. The team that was getting the job done prior to Higgs' send-off in the first game almost got the job done in the second game. The full-time score was 13-all. Again, Richardson was outstanding. The Queensland forward pack was similarly outstanding. Halley, Wright, Platts, Beavers, Lang, and Crilly were all dominant on the field, and Fitzpatrick, Leese, and Warren Orr were also constant threats in attack. Jack Reardon and the Courier Mail rated Ross Stoddwick Stry- as having outpointed Tom Radonicus, and he rated Arthur Beetson as the best of the New South Wales team.
0: Well, that brings us to the final match of the series. The rain came, and Lang Park was a mud bath. Queensland again took the game to New South Wales, who sent for Bob O'Reilly to toughen up their forward pack. It made no difference. Queensland held New South Wales tryless and drew the match for all. The game was a bash fest. Players from both sides required stitches and ice packs after it was over. John Cruelly had facial gashes and a swollen lip as well as a broken cheekbone. Reardon rated John Lang as the best player of the match. He won the scrums handsomely and tackled for 80 minutes and attacked wisely. But Reardon mentioned so many players like Fitzpatrick, Fevers, Crilly, Strudrick, Higgs and Halley as standouts along with David Wright whose low clean tackling was a highlight in the, met, in the wet.
1: Queensland selected the same team for the match against Great Britain and the Queenslanders showed their form against New South Wales was no fluke by narrowly going down to Great Britain 12-13. Queensland's doctor, Kevin Hobbs, said that Queensland had taken a worse battering from the Brits than they did against New South Wales, with Higgs, Beavers, Fitzpatrick and Crilly all with serious injury worries. The Brisbane selectors then dropped a bombshell and omitted Ross Strudwick from the Brisbane team to play Great Britain before the test match. The brothers' youngster, Tony White, who was in great form, was selected ahead of him. It seemed hard to fathom after Strudwick had played so well in the state matches. But White had been in great form, and at that point in the season was leading the Courier Mail best and fairest competition.
0: Well, the Australian team was selected after that Great Britain match with Brisbane, and Jeff Richardson, Warren Orr and John Lang were the only Queenslanders selected. Lang was on the bench. By the time they played the first test, Gary Stevens had withdrawn through injury and Ray Higgs was added to the team. Greg Vivas was probably the unlucky player, with Bob O'Reilly definitely not playing at a standard that... Uh, was better than any of the Queensland front rowers and with Vivas being the best of them he was the unlucky one to miss out. Jack Reedon also questioned what John Lang had to do to displace Elwyn Walters. Lang had been better in open play and had won the scrum count against Walters. What more does a hooker need to do? And when the game was played Australia won 12-6 and the Courier Mail noted,
1: The three Queenslanders, Ray Higgs, Jeff Richardson and Warren Orr all had good Test taboos. Orr scored the only try in the match when he took a short pass in a confined space from Higgs and dashed over before running closer to the goalposts. In the lead up work, Richardson played an important role.
0: Meanwhile in the BRL, brothers and valleys were due to play each other, which means ex-St. George lower grade halfback Ross Strudwick lined up against New Brisbane and ex-St. George lower grade halfback Tony White. White outplayed Strudwick in this game and played a solid hand in the 20-15 win by Brisbane against Great Britain. John Lang was selected to play the second test with Warren Orr and Jeff Richardson holding their places. Unfortunately, Great Britain had a lot to play for and they won the match 16-11. And now, at the end of the second round in the BRL, and Manley were making a run at the semi-finals. Going into week 14, after a surprise win over Souths, and were only three wins out of the top four. Valleys and Norths continued to share first place, which they'd been sharing with Redcliffe for the past three weeks. They were on 18 points, and Redcliffe just behind on 16 after losing the President's Cup match to the diehards. But Wynnum made sure they remained in the semi-final hunt by beating Valleys the next weekend.
1: Valleys remained near the top of the table in second place behind Norths, who, conversely to Valleys, who was sputtering over the last few weeks without state stars and injured players, won their seventh consecutive game with a convincing belting of brothers. The Devils might have had Lee Majors playing for them. The $6 million man had just debuted on the 10 network, and the $6 million man's abilities were echoing around Bishop Park after North's displays over the past eight weeks. Now it would be a Valleys versus North's Peter Scott Memorial Trophy game in the third round.
0: And That third round began with Courier Mail headlines screaming Spooners make it three wins in a row after winner Manly beat South's for the second time in three weeks. Valleys also lost in a close game to Redcliffe, and with Brothers and Norths winning, the table was becoming very jumbled. Wyndham were no longer on the bottom, and Redcliffe, Valleys and Brothers were bunching up in their pursuit of the Norths juggernaut who had gone eight wins on the trot. After one week of the third round of fixtures, and the table had Norths four points clear on 22, Valleys and Redcliffe on 18, Brothers made up the top four on 16, but followed closely by Souths on 14, Easts on 13, Wynnum on 10 and Wests on 9. The Week 16 games was more of the same. Norths win again, Valleys won but not impressively, Souths and Brothers played a 15-all draw and Wynnum-Manly win again. The thing that stands out about Week 16 was the match reports from around the grounds. Laurie Kavanagh
1: wrote of the Brothers-Souths game, General handling in Brisbane club matches this year has been so bad that there must be some relation between this and the poor standard of football grounds following the January floods. Yesterday's match on the sandy, grassless surface of Corbett Park, known locally as Corbett Beach, was par for the course scrappy and fumbling, which had the fans shaking their heads in amazement. And from Jack Reardon on the Valley's East match at Lang Park. A match like this would not have been attractive on a good ground, but on the miserable Lang Park surface, turned to a dust bowl by the January flood, It was poor. While Lang Park's
0: surface hadn't gotten any better the day after the Valleys East clash, it was in the news for different reasons, and North's managed another win in their streak against Redcliffe, making it ten in a row. Referee Bernie Pramberg called North's team manager Colin Bax onto the field and gave him a dressing down because he came onto the field to attend to injured winger Vic Podzunis without permission. In other incidents, Forrester Grayson was sent off for punching and Tommy Bishop was sent off for a headbutt. It seemed the constant send-offs were to continue. Players were generally being suspended for longer periods of time, but not learning that foul play wasn't going to be tolerated.
1: As BRL clubs threw themselves at the Kirks Cup, they could play with a full stable of stars. As Australia deemed, it was Warren Orr, John Lang, and Jeff Richardson's fault that they lost the second test. Lang, who won the scrums and played well in the open, the same guy who was sniping and opening gaps for non-existent support players who simply didn't bother to push up with their hooker forward, the bloke who tackled everything that moved in a white jersey, the guy who won scrums against his two New South Wales opponents and outplayed them in the open as well during the interstate series. That guy apparently hadn't played well enough to keep his spot. But the selectors weren't fully antagonistic to Lang. Elwin Walters and George Piggins weren't selected in his stead because it would already shown this year that he was better than them. Instead of one of those two, they picked Ron Turner to replace him.
0: And they needed to go to Tim Pickup to replace Jeff Richardson. Now Reardon had said that he hoped Tim Pickup was good mates with Tom Radonica so he could get a little more ball than Richardson was getting. Warren Orr was also dropped. He maintained his spot in the team, but on the bench. Bob O'Reilly had also been dropped, but of course Greg Vivers wasn't considered. John O'Neill was selected instead. One would think that New South Wales had belted Queensland in the Interstate Series this year, such was the poor representation from north of the border in the national side. The first Interstate game was a win to New South Wales, after Queensland had played 42 minutes with only 12 men and were in front at the time. Both the remaining games of the series ended in a draw. Given those statistics, Queensland should really have at least five or six players in the Test 15. If we were picking a team on that form for that year, Warren Orr, Jerry Fitzpatrick, Jeff Richardson, Ross Strudwick in the back line and David Wright, Ray Higgs, Greg Vevers and John Lang in the forwards would be very realistic chances to represent Australia after their showings in that interstate series. So I reckon that if changes needed to be made, then make them with a view to making the team better, not just to remove Queenslanders. That doesn't always make a team better. What's your take, Dave?
1: Yeah, look, I reckon given the, uh, the closeness of that interstate clash and obviously the great form shown by plenty of the Queensland players, um, you know, the stats kind of speak for themselves. I know we're a bit accused of being fairly one eyed up here in Queensland. But um, yeah, I think that you can't argue with the stats.
0: Well, I think that you're probably right, but regardless of what we think, Jack Reardon was more scathing at the time. After calling for changes to be based on form and not on state borders, he suggested that Radonikus and not Richardson may have been where Australia's scrum base had broken down. He also suggested in earlier editions that Strudwick had outplayed Radonikos in two of the three interstate matches. It's not to say that Rodonicus can't play, he just doesn't always play a traditional halfbacks game, and if we're looking at igniting the backline, perhaps it's the halfback giving the ball to the 5-8 rather than the 5-8 not giving the ball to the centres. Anyway, if we're making changes for the final test, putting Strudwick in might have strengthened the team and given our backline more ball. A dropping Lang was something that Reardon just couldn't take. He also didn't understand why Greg Vivas and David Wright hadn't been given their due with forward changes being made to the Test team and neither of them being given a look-in. I mean, they both proved in later years that they were well and truly up to playing for Australia's standard. After the game which Australia won, Reardon gave glowing praise to Graham Langlands who was bowing out of Test football at 33 years of age. Langlands was mostly the reason for the win, although Beetson and O'Neill had been towers of strength in the midfield. Our backline was superior to the British, but given few chances to show it. Read the summation of some of the contentious selections in his eyes.
1: Halfback Radonikas is tough and a great tackler, but he played a second-rower's game and again did not give regular service to his backs. Of Ron Turner's game he said Australia's hooker Ron Turner made a dismal comeback to test football He was beaten in the scrums 10-7 to 7 and stood wide among the backs for most of the game missed tackles and lost the ball twice when tackled Jack was
0: born and raised in New South Wales but since moving to Brisbane he'd certainly become a Queenslander and his commentary in the Courier Mail was testament to his belief that players in Queensland deserved better than they were getting from our national selectors On the flip side Greedon was always quick to sink the boot into Queenslanders when they were terrible, so he was usually pretty fair in his summations. Aware in 1974 and the drain of players from Brisbane to Sydney was still happening, but some Sydney players were starting to move north at a greater rate for opportunities in a city with cheaper housing and possibly greater footballing opportunities. But even after an interstate series as close as the one in 1974, some of those players might have Queensland representative jerseys in their wardrobes. But when you're playing for Queensland, a green and gold one
1: is much harder to come by. And with all the rep footy completed at this time and with five weeks to go, the BRL was becoming very interesting. Coming into week 17, Norths and Valleys were due to play the Peter Scott Memorial Trophy and North's halfback Tommy Bishop was out suspended for two weeks because of a headbutt on Redcliffe's Alan Henrik. He appealed the suspension and the QRL Appeals Committee upheld the appeal, leaving him free to play. But Norths, like Valleys, had others out injured. Centre Ralph Michaels was to have an operation on an injured knee and he would not play again in '74. Valleys were also missing John Crilly who had been out since the state games with a hairline fracture of the cheekbone. Other regular first graders missing from Valleys team were Mick Rathbone, Paul Gaylor and Ron but we could expect a solid performance from the diehards in a big match, despite North's run of wins lately. And while we'd assume the the top-of-the-table clash between Norths and
0: Valleys for the Peter Scott Memorial Trophy would be the biggest news in the BRL at that point of time, surprisingly, that wasn't the case. After Saturday, the 27th of July, Jack Reardon's match report indicated that there was another huge story in the BRL unfolding.
1: Winner Manley continued their march towards the Brisbane Rugby League semi-finals with a resounding all the way 20-6 win over Brothers at Lane Park yesterday. Well, this was Winner's fifth win in a
0: row and they'd beaten Souths, Valleys and Norths in that run. Valleys beat Norths in a tight game but wins to Easts over Redcliffe and then by Souths meant the table was now a little more congested. The top four was no longer clear cut and teams
1: outside the four were now that much closer. Norths were on top with 24 points, Valleys second with 22, Redcliffe on 18, Brothers and Souths were level on 17 in fourth spot, Easts were one win behind on 15, Winter Manley on 14, just three points out of the top four, and Wests in the wooden spoon position still on nine points. So coming into week 18, the BRL had put an
0: embargo on sleeveless jerseys. Anyone who remembers the mid-70s can remember players playing with their sleeves cut off. Robert Orchard started the trend and now Russell Hughes copied it to bring it to the attention of the BRL committee and they were taking a stand. Out on the footy field, Wynnum wanted to keep their winning streak going and Norths wanted to get back into the winning circle. Norths managed the win, making it the first game all year that Nev Hornery had played in a losing team. That speaks of Nev Hornery's value to rugby league at Wynnum Manly and in Brisbane. A feature of Norths' win was the return to top form by Glenn Harrison. Harrison had been the form player in Brisbane over the first two rounds of competition and for North's fans it would have been good to see him back in top form. In other games South beat East which helped Winham stay close but gave Souths a clear move into the top four. Redcliffe trounced Wests and Valley's pipped brothers 9-6. These results meant that and Manly were still possible semi-finalists but Souths would need to lose every game for the remainder of the season and other results would need to go their way. So, with just three weeks before semi finals, every game was important. When a Manly beat East to draw closer to their semi final goal. Norths beat Souths to keep those dreams alive. But there were some strange scenes at Pertel Park when Valleys faced Wests. Russell Hughes and John Sattler were sent off, and Henry Holloway came onto the field and questioned referee Bill McKenney. It was a bizarre scene, a scrum blew up, not for the first time in the game, and when it was settled, Sattler was taken to the sideline to be treated by an ambulance man for a bleeding face. McKinney sent Hughes off. Then he called Sattler back onto the field and sent him off as well. So Sattler returned to the sideline with the ambulance man to have his face seen to. and it was at this point that Henry Holloway walked straight across the field to question the referee. Hughes and Sattler both got three weeks for their part in the scrum break-up. Then a few weeks later, both Hughes and Sattler had their suspensions quashed by the QRL and were free to play the next weekend. As for Holloway, he and North's Bob Hagen were both fined. Hagen was fined $50 for swearing at a touch judge and Holloway was fined $30 for his effort of walking across the field of play to remonstrate with the referee.
1: Wow, 30
0: buck fine. Yeah, $30 fine. <laughs> West Captain coach John Sattler was also cited as a coach because he made an abusive comment to the judiciary after he received his three-week ban when sent off with Russell Hughes. This was an incident which stuck later with Sattler because he wrote about it in his book as well. Not sure if that was because he felt aggrieved or if he was just telling the story about time catching up with him. If he was lamenting not having a coach on the sidelines to have his back and storm onto the field to support him like Holloway did for Hughes. Or if he was fined $50 for the abusive comment. Either way, the story stuck. It's a good one to tell.
1: Yeah, beauty. Well, Henry running onto the field or well, the dust-up must have worked because after being down 4-14, four to 14, the send-offs of Hughes and Sattler spurred Valleys into rhythm and Valleys ended up beating West 27 points to 20. And in the final game, brothers beat Redcliffe 19 to 10, but lost winger Pat McGuire with a broken arm and hooker Ross Franklin with a broken leg. Goodness me, what a game. Yes. This meant the ladder was a little more compact around fourth spot. With just two weeks remaining, Norths were still in front on 28, Valleys still second on 26, starting to clear away from the rest. Redcliffe were third on 20, South still fourth on 19 points, but now brothers were equal with them at 19, and Wynnum were just 3 points behind on 16 with Easts 4 points out of the top 4. Wests on 9 points were out of semi-final calculations. So losses to those teams around
0: 4th spot were certainly possible with Brothers to play East and Norths and East and Souths both had to play Valleys and Redcliffe. So wins and losses could happen anywhere and that basically meant that both Easts and Wynnum Manly were still alive for a semi-final position with only 2 weeks to play. It was a big week off the field leading into week 20. Redcliffe had some forward injuries, not the least of which being Ron Raper's broken arm. As a result, Redcliffe were trying to locate Forrester Grayson. Grayson had been out suspended for two weeks, but coach Barry Muir was now wanting him back at training, but Grayson was nowhere to be found. So Redcliffe took to the newspaper to try and locate him. (laughs) (laughs)
1: In other news, South's coach former English test forward Brian Briggs resigned his post effective immediately and John Grant took over the coaching job at South's for the remainder of the season. Briggs had had a stormy relationship with some players and after a blow up on the training field he submitted his resignation. Briggs had been living away from family who were based in Canberra and this was the reason given for his departure. Grant would now see out the year as interim coach. And
0: after wins to Souths, Norths, Brothers and Wynnum in week 20, the BRL approached the final week of the season. Only Norths and Valleys had their spot in the semi-finals guaranteed. Wynnum Manly had left their run just a little bit late and Valleys made sure that there'd be no theatrics from the Seagulls with a dominating performance in the final round. And that meant Norths were first, Valleys were second, with Redcliffe, Souths and Brothers fighting out the minor semi-final positions. East were to play West and as both teams were out of the running for semi-final spots, the result didn't impact the ladder. Norths had to play Brothers and with Souths and Brothers both just a point ahead of Redcliffe, the game had immense repercussions for Brothers. Souths also had an important game as they had to play Redcliffe. So being one point behind them on the ladder, Redcliffe could force their way into the semis with a win over Souths in that final game. They could also leapfrog Brothers if the Leprechauns lost to Norths. It would seem that brothers didn't need the help, because the first half against Norths, brothers were in the box seat to win that match, leading 17-7 at half time. That's when Nick Geiger took control. Norths hooker won 12 scrums in a row and gave Norths all the ball in the second half. Brothers couldn't win a scrum for the entire 40 minutes, and as a result the Devils scored four tries in the second half, and coupled with Darrell Broman's six goals was enough to sink brothers' hopes and put them on tender hooks, waiting for the result of the Souths-Redcliffe match the next day. Redcliffe's fans would have been excited by the opening that Norths and Geiger in particular had given them, but Souths won fairly convincingly by 21-11, to making it three losses in a row to close out the season for the Dolphins. And as a result, they missed the semi-finals.
1: In that game though, Chris, there was a really exciting piece of play that had the Lang Park crowd on their feet in awe of a young Mitch Brennan.
0: Yeah, Dave, that's a good story. Brennan's class was shining through, even as a rookie bursting onto the A-grade scene.
1: That's right. Brennan was playing just his sixth A-grade game, but it was anything but overawed. At one moment in play, South International centre John Grant lofted a pass towards Brennan's wing near halfway. Young Mitch jumped in the air to take the pass and outstripped the nearby Redcliffe defenders. Then he used a perfectly timed swerve and burst a pace to out position and race away from fullback Tony Obst before touching down beside the posts untouched. The crowd at Lang Park stood and gave Brennan rousing applause as he walked back from scoring, all the way up until he took up his position to field the resulting kickoff.
0: That's a pretty cool story, isn't it? I'm sure Mitch Brennan would have been feeling pretty good about that one, just being a young kid first in his, into his first year of A-grade.
1: Yeah, I reckon, and all that applause would have just um, made him walking on, on air, I'd say. Yeah. He actually scored a hat-trick of tries in that win against Redcliffe, and it was a little triumph for John Grant, who had his first game as captain coach after taking over as coach during the week.
0: On well, the other games for that final round, as Valleys had reportedly near their best after being held to 3-all at half-time, they received a...
1: Half-time tongue-lashing from coach Henry Holloway.
0: And responded by clearing away to a 34-3 to win over Manley. A wooden spooners West salvaged an end-of-season win over Easts. So the latter finished up with Norths on top on 32 points, Valleys second on 28, Souths on 23... Brothers on 21, and then outside the top four were Redcliffe on 20, Wynnum on 18, Easts on 15 and Wests on 11. And in that first weekend of the 4IP knockout competition between the four teams not playing semi-finals, Redcliffe downed Easts 40-21 to 21, and Wynnum Manly had a torrid time against Wests.
1: Yeah they certainly did. Wests had them down midway through the first half, 13-3, to three, and then a series of wild brawls opened up. The first followed a clash between John Sattler and Wynne Manley's acting captain Neil Crosas. Most players joined the fray, throwing punches wildly. Once that was settled, about a minute later, Bob Patterson and John Rebo had a set-to and again players came from all over the the joint to join the action. (laughs) Not
0: Jeff Richardson though, Dave. He squatted on the ground about 25 metres away and let the rest of the players
1: get it out of their system. The Courier-Mail put it this way. Richardson had a ringside seat at the longest brawl seen for years in a league match. And once it was all settled, Winner Manley rattled up
0: some tries and eventually ran out winners, but not before another brawl erupted late in the second half. It got so bad that ambulance men were jumping out of the way as players cascaded over the advertising signage on the side of the field. (laughs)
1: League
0: Secretary Peter Scott entered the field of play to help quell the fighting, and when a couple of policemen walked towards the players, things began to calm down. The minor semi-final lacked the punch that had been delivered in that previous game, but it was a tight affair until Brothers hooker and captain Brian Fitzsimmons won the last 10 scrums in a row to give Brothers a critical mass of possession and that they used to score three tries in the last half hour of the game, to win 27-12 over Souths. Brothers scored a couple of good tries. Jack in particularly enjoyed the skill involved in Brothers' backline throwing four crisp, quick passes across a 12-metre space to put Ian Douth over out wide. With brothers moving on to the preliminary final, also moving to the preliminary final in reserve grade was Redcliffe after beating Wests and unfortunately for the Panthers Wests also went down in C grade, this time to Easts who moved forward into the preliminary final.
1: On the Saturday before the major semi-final was played, Redcliffe took out the 4IP knockout final by beating Wynnum Manley 12-9. Wynnum had a total of nine regular first graders out of the side and looked good for a large portion of the game. When the siren sounded, Bob Patterson put up a well-judged bomb, but Redcliffe's captain Robert Orchard judged it perfectly and put himself under the high ball to cut off any chance Wynnum had and ensure the Dolphins won the day so then
0: in the major semi-final valleys accounted for north's by just 16 to 15. as always north's and valleys put on a show and the game was always in the balance ross strudwick
1: had a great game with the courier mail noting there were plenty of people agreeing after the match that ross strudwick is the best rugby league player in queensland and they included north's president bob backs He was hit late hard and often but always bounced back and used his skills to put in well-judged grubbers and continually turn Norths around with his long ground gaining kicks. His skilful dummying and switching of play from a pretended inside pass to Russell Hughes to a quick orthodox pass to Jerry Fitzpatrick produced Valley's first try of the second half.
0: Tommy Bishop's skilful passing game was also to the fore and he brought Norths right into the match. When Greg Jones finished off a speedy burst by his centres Beetson and Fitzpatrick, Valleys were ahead 16-10. Norths came back with a great effort from centre Eric Lilly, but Valleys held on for the win. In reserve grade, East scored a late penalty goal by Shane McNally to beat Norths 18-16 and go into the grand final, while in C grade, Norths got home in a tight one against Valleys 9-7.
1: Those results set up a Norths vs Brothers A grade preliminary final, and what a game it turned out to be. Norths attacked Brothers line continuously in the second half, with fullback Jeff Wraith and forwards Peter Hall, Glenn Harrison, Darrell Broman and Tony Trent prominent, running off the crafty passes of Captain Tommy Bishop, who played on despite having a depressed fracture of the cheekbone. But Brothers defence refused to break, and with just five minutes left in the game, the scores were still 9-all. Norths Lee Hutchinson stepped up to take a field goal, and it missed. But Brothers fullback Wayne Bennett caught the ball just near the dead ball line and ran it out 30 metres before being tackled. From the play the ball, the ball travelled through a number of hands to put winger Brad Shelby away. When the defence converged, Shelby passed inside to second rower Ian Sartori who drew the defence and gave it back to Shelby who outpaced the cover defence to score and put Brothers into the grand final with Valleys.
0: The early game results saw Norths beat Redcliffe in reserve grade and Valleys beat East in C grade. That set up a grand final day program of Norths versus Valleys in C grade, East versus Norths in Reserve grade, and Valleys versus Brothers in A grade.
1: Keeping in the theme of 1974, the 1974 grand final was a miserable affair, not because the footy was poor, but because it was 1974, so the weather was poor. Valleys came from behind to register a win in the C grade grand final, beating Norths by 11-8. In reserve grade, North suffered a similar fate when Easts overran them 21 to 5. There was great anticipation for the A-grade game, especially with Strudwick and Tony White going up against each other. Those battles had proved eminently watchable all year.
0: No tries were scored in the A-grade game, but that wasn't because the teams couldn't attack. Both teams broke the front defensive line, but the cover defence in the 70s was a thing of beauty when done properly. Players had streamed back and run corner post lines to ensure any breaks were covered, and both Valleys and Brothers did that in this game. The weather called for a more circumspect approach to the game and with all their experience Valleys managed that better than the Young Brothers team which gave them
1: the advantage territorially they were in position to kick three penalty goals and three one-pointer field goals.
0: Strudwick kicked two penalty goals and a field goal, Alan Mills kicked two field goals and John Crilly kicked a penalty goal for Valleys nine points. Without commanding field position Ian Douth had few chances to score and added just one penalty goal to the brothers. So, after participating in the last six grand finals, Valleys would make it four premierships out of six with a 9 2 win. It was happy days at Newman Oval and happy days across the world as Richard Cunningham, the Fons, and the gang burst onto our screens towards the end of the year in 1974. Valleys were certainly riding high. They had plenty of players who had been around for a number of years, a multiple premiership winning coach and had just unearthed an exciting young halfback. The sky was the limit. But you'll have to tune in episode 15 to hear what happened next when we explore 1975. You've been listening to Episode 13 of Season 1 in BRL Moments in Time's Exploration of the Decade 1968-1977. to 1977. Thanks to Dave Teagle for his help with this episode. No worries, Chris. We look forward to seeing you back here next week when we have a chat about the players of 1974 who made the game what it was. If you enjoyed the podcast, please jump onto the platform that you listen to and give us a five-star rating and a review so others can find us too. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at BRL Moments in Time, you can contact us via our website or via our social media pages. Search for BRL Moments in Time on Facebook and on Instagram and get in contact with us there, or our website, brl-momentsintime.com. This podcast was developed and produced on the lands of the Yagara, Yugara and Yugarapal people of the Ipswich region. We acknowledge and pay respect to their traditional custodians. See you next time. No
1: Play it fair, and you'll find the opponents that they meet will try to defeat,
0: but cannot beat those champion valley
1: diehards. The boys in blue.